good to see you all this morning. So, last week um, we kicked off our outreach kind of thrust for this new season ahead. Um, We had a good number of people turn out. We had 25 people come. I was really pleased and quite a few others said that they couldn't come. Um, I think they were just being polite. But um, it was really good. We had a good time. We kind of looked into what scripture says about mission and evangelism and being a witness. And uh, we are starting now a weekly challenge. I'm going to start from this Monday. Uh, We're creating a little WhatsApp group and email group. I'm going to send out a weekly challenge for people to uh, do something either loving or speaking to people or trying to just proclaim the gospel, really. So very excited about what lays ahead. And uh, if you weren't there, then there's no shame, but um, you can... (laughs) A little bit. No, um, honestly, no shame. But uh, And you'd like to join this group to be challenged every week, um, come speak to me afterwards. Um, And I would love to add you to the list. Okay, last week Adam started uh, back in the series of Corinthians and he looked at uh, Corinthians chapter 8, so you'll never guess what we're looking at this morning. Go on. Well done, that's it, chapter 9. Okay, um, if you're a visitor here this morning just uh, or you don't know much about the Bible, uh, just a little introduction to the letter, is written by the Apostle Paul or Saint Paul, uh, if you're from a more... Uh, traditional church background. Um, it's a letter written to the church in Corinth that Paul planted that we read in Acts 18. And it's quite a juicy letter, actually. There's kind of a whole uh, range of subjects covered. Um, talks about sex, money, power, gender. How do you deal with fame and glory? How do you deal with defeat and sickness? How do you deal with drugs and alcohol, perversion, fighting and lawsuits? All of these issues... Unfortunately, we don't face any of those issues today, do we? Oh, no, we do. That's why the Bible is so applicable to our lives today. So how do you deal with those? And Paul's answer in the letter is continually the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He's the answer to every question. He's the hope that everyone's hoping for, the longing, and he's the only solution for the plight of human sin. So, we're going to read all of chapter 9, so it's quite, quite a chunk, um, but we're just going to read the whole chapter because we need to get the overview of what Paul is saying, and then going to kind of zoom in and focus on a few verses. Um, before we do that, let's pray. Lord, we just so love you, so love being in your presence, love to sing your names, your praises, and Lord, our worship doesn't stop the singing of songs, but we want to worship you through your word this morning as, and pray that you will speak to us through your word. Let us be open to what you want to say to us this morning. Amen. Okay, before we do that, I'm going to have to, I'm getting to a certain age now where I have to put these on because I can't really see properly. Oh, that's better. Ooh, oh, no, no, that's better. Okay, right. So, Corinthians 9 from verse one. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. 
This is my defence to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends to a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Or does he certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher should thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do, do we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die and have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching... I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. That I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run, that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in these things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an, we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Well, that's quite a lot in there, isn't there? So obviously we can see at the beginning that some Corinthians are questioning Paul's authority and his rights as an apostle. But Paul had seen and talked to the resurrected Jesus. Christ had called him to be an apostle. And the Corinthians themselves were evidence of God using Paul. As I said, if you read in Acts 18... um, Paul planted a church in Corinth. And this is a challenge to us all, all through this chapter. Do our lives impact others like Paul? Are our lives dedicated 
to be used by him. Paul uses examples of workers deserving their wage and he talks about farmers and soldiers and those that work in the temple. And he talks about his rights as an apostle. Talks about, you know, surely we could take along a believing wife. We deserve to eat and drink. He quotes um, in verse 9 about uh, muzzling an ox while treading out the grain, quoting Deuteronomy 25. So he's talking about, I have all these rights, but for the sake of the gospel. The human rights, they've kind of developed over the last 100 years or so, and which is a good thing. Having human rights is a good thing, but they can be misused. I'm married to a teacher, and she often has rather challenging children, we shall call them, saying, I know my rights. And we can talk about, well, I have a right to just take it easy today, or I have a right to do this. But rights can lead to arrogance. Paul foregoes. He sacrifices his rights for the sake of the gospel. After explaining he has these rights, he says, I won't make use of them because I don't want to put an obstacle in the way of the gospel. Paul was a tent maker. He would work in the evenings making tents so he could earn a living and proclaim the gospel during the day. But he doesn't make use of those rights. He makes his money and he doesn't want an obstacle. Now, we could look into this about um, deserving a wage in ministry, and we do have paid members of staff in this church. I am a paid member uh, of staff at the church. But we're not really going to get into that. But I do believe it it says in Scripture that it is right to pay those that work in ministry. Jesus says it himself in Matthew 10, verse 10, and Luke 10, verse 7. Verse 14, Paul even says, those that proclaim the gospel should live by the gospel. So it is fair and it is right. But we're not going to look at that this morning. We're looking, are we ready to sacrifice our rights for the gospel and the church? Because the church is the one thing that's going to remain. Everything else, everything else, moth and rust will destroy the church is going to remain. So we, we can talk about our rights, our right to our own time. I talked about this before. This is obviously um, an issue in me at the moment. About Yes, we have a right to our own time, our, our me time. We have a right to our, a nice career, a nice house, a nice car, a good social life. But when your focus is on living for Christ, your rights become comparatively unimportant. When your focus is on living for Christ, your rights become comparatively unimportant. We need to forego, sometimes we will need to forego our rights for the sake of new disciples, new believers coming in. We believe the church is going to grow because we're going to see people born again, giving their lives to Jesus. We need to forego our rights. You know, in the last um, four or five years, uh, living in Bury St Edmunds, I fo- had to forego my rights because we had guys coming in who had no background of church or anything, had a completely terrible history, parents, no, no parents around, coming from really broken homes. And we had them into our home. We opened up the door to them 
and we had to tell we had to tell them the same things over and over and over again and it's frustrating but I forgo my rights because I would come home from work, working a hard day on the building site, working on roofs, and I might have just wanted to put my feet up. It was my right to sit down and have a beer and watch the football. But no, I had these people coming into our home because we wanted to see them become more like Jesus. Adam talked last week about weaker believers and not causing them to stumble on certain things. Well, it's my right to have a drink. Well, no, if it causes this person who is an alcoholic to stumble, then we shouldn't do that. But we need to make room for new believers in our church. We need to make room for new believers in our groups. And it might be uncomfortable. There will be people that don't look like us. But I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't want church to be comfortable. I do want church to be comfortable because I like coming in and I like seeing my friends and seeing my family and having a nice time. But I want it to become uncomfortable because there are people coming in that are responding to the gospel of Jesus. I don't want comfort. God doesn't want us to be comfortable. He loves us and he wants you to prosper. and He has plans to see you prosper. But he doesn't want us to be comfortable. He doesn't want lukewarm passivity. He speaks about lukewarmness in Revelation. In Revelation 3, verse 15, he's writing to the church in, uh, he's speaking to the church in Laodicea. He says, I know your deeds. You're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, and do not need a thing, but you do not realize you're wretched. You're pitiful, you're poor, you're blind and naked. I counsel you to come to me, buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so they can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. That's quite strong, isn't it? I will spit you out of my mouth. Some uh, Bible versions say vomit. I'm about to spit you out. Jesus himself says in Luke 14, any of you who does not give up everything he has, everything he has cannot be my disciple. His last instructions were to go into the world, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. You notice he didn't add, but hey, you know, if, if, if that's too much to ask, just tell them to become Christians. You know, those guys that can just go to heaven without having to really commit anything. He didn't say that, did he? Jesus calls you to follow him. It's a call to sacrifice. Sacrifice your rights to a cushy life. I would like a cushy life, but I know Jesus has called me. He's called you to die to yourself. It's an all or nothing call. It's an all or nothing call. It's a free gift, but it costs you everything. I've got three wonderful, amazing, beautiful children. I'm not just being biased. They are genuinely beautiful. You see them, they're great. I, <clears throat> I am praying for them. I'm praying for my, my son to marry not just a Christian girl, a Christian woman. I'm praying for him to marry a woman that is on fire for the kingdom of God. 
I'm praying for my daughters to marry. Now, you need to be praying for these guys when they knock on my door. <clears throat> I'm praying for my daughters to marry not just Christian men that come to church, go to group and read their Bibles. I am praying for men that are on fire for Jesus, that are on fire for the gospel, that want to see it proclaimed in this nation, that wants to see revival. That's what I want for my kids, to marry these types of people. That's what I want them to be. That's what God wants us to be. Not just doing their bit. We're called to bear fruit. Fruit bearing should be natural for the Christian like it was for Paul. Christian, uh, Tom Wright says this in his um, book on Corinthians. He says, Christian freedom is not the freedom to do what you like, but freedom from all the things that stop you being the person God really wants you to be, which is freedom for the service of God and the gospel. Paul was free, but he says... A slave to all people to bring many to Christ. Freedom for the Messiah. Freedom for God's people, the church. And freedom for those that need the gospel. I am trying to forego my rights. I am, there are still areas of lukewarm passivity in my life. I'm not standing up here perfect. I'm speaking to myself as much as I am to you. But I'm trying to forego my rights for the mission that God has called us to. Paul was on mission. Are you on mission? See, as the church grows, we need, and we see people saved, born again. That's my heart. I want to see people born again and see the church grow and seeing people come become more like the image of his son. As the church grows, we need people to forego their rights. The rights of ease. We need people to forego their rights to serve, to serve on welcome, hospitality, children's work, PA, set up. We need new group leaders. We need men and women that are ready to rise up and lead in many areas. To walk alongside new believers saying, yep, you've you've messed up again, yep, you've done that, that's okay, we love you, God loves you, and to keep speaking to them. We need men and women to rise up, to forego their rights. It lines up with this mission statement that Adam laid out at the beginning of the year. We need praying, serving, give, invite, welcome. That's what we need. That's what God is calling you to, church. See, we're also a family as well. If you see stuff that needs doing, if you see needs in particular areas, then you can fill it. We're a family. We don't call up customer services and say, hey, I saw this today, uh, this person needs this, or I saw that you know, the chairs weren't quite put out, uh, which is, never happens, by the way. But, um, yeah, we don't call up customer service and complain. We know we, we're a family. If I walked around my house and just said to Gemma, my wife, well, there, I saw some stuff lying around and you know, that didn't, nothing was really picked up, that wouldn't work very well for me. Because we're a family. I would be standing here with a black eye this morning. No, she wouldn't. She, she only ever hits below the neck. That's fine. <clears throat> but we, we need to get stuck in. Paul worked hard for the gospel. Worked all night making tents to fund his daytime gospel preaching. 
Verse 20, he became a Jew, as a Jew to the Jews. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. So that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. That I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means, I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel. That I may share with them in its blessings. Paul here gives some important principles for our outreach, for our mission. Number one, if we could skip on. That's, number one, find common ground with those that you're in contact with. Often when I, I'm trying to speak to people on the streets or just in the everyday, I'm, I'm trying to find somewhere that we might have in common. If I'm talking to a guy, I'm, maybe he likes football and you know I can talk all day about football. Um, I'm finding some common ground. Avoid a know-it-all attitude. You know, we can, in Alpha, we get people coming and asking questions and people have some very strange ideas. And we can say, that is completely bonkers. No, but we don't say that. What we need to do is not just smash down the wall of their belief, but take it down brick by brick. It says in Peter about uh, being sensitive and respectful when we're sharing or be too sensitive not easily upset with bad language or other behavior from people that aren't christians we cannot expect those that don't know jesus to to behave like they do i've had a few encounters with some people in the last few weeks and they remembered me from doing a kids club and they're now you know in their late teens early 20s and you know they they eff and jeffed a bit, to be honest, but I didn't get all sensitive and, oh, no, you can't speak like that. No, I just ignored it and just kept talking, kept speaking. I've worked on a building site for over 20 years. I, I've heard it all before. If I was a sensitive little sausage, I, would be, I, I wouldn't have ever, ever gone to work. So let's not be too sensitive. Let's toughen up a bit. Make others feel accepted and not exclude others that aren't like us. This was a challenge for us, actually, in living in Suffolk. There were lots of people that weren't like us. It is a very different pace of life living in Suffolk. It, ironically, it wasn't for us because life moved at 100 miles an hour for us. Um, busy running businesses and families and, and church as well. But it is a very slow way of life in Suffolk and you know, if you order something here in, in the beautiful Garden of England in the southeast, you expect it to be there the next day, but you do it in Suffolk and they say, oh, oh you think we could get it there next Thursday? <laughs> People weren't like us. We seem to impact quite a big benefit culture there as well, and people felt like they had the right to just claim money and not go to work. And part of me could be thinking, oh, no, you just need to get off your backside and do some work. Um, but no, I, we had to love them. We had to accept them. So you are loved and accepted. 
give them a little hug. Now you need to get off your backside and go and work. <laughs> it was love with truth, you see. It isn't love without truth. And it isn't truth without love. So, as I believe we're going to see in these coming weeks and months and years, people responding to the gospel that aren't like us. So, are we ready? Are you ready to accept and love and have them into your home? You know, all through this book, in, in the New Testament, in the early church, they... They were, they were one anothering with each other. They shared their lives. They sold their possessions to be with one, to share amongst everybody. You know, I, I, I don't think we're quite there as a church in general, not just here. But because we, we are, we live in a very individualistic society. We want to keep ourselves to ourselves. But I, I just don't see that. I don't know about you, but when I read this book, I don't see that. I see them sharing their lives with one another. Are you ready to do that? Are you ready to have people into your homes? I know not everybody has kind of the gift of hospitality. But what I would ask you to do is just have an open heart to those around you. To love. That's what Adam talked about last week. Let love conquer over knowledge didn't you something like that I was listening it was good be sensitive to the needs and concerns to the weak I became weak be sensitive we dealt with ex-drug addicts alcoholics and I didn't drink in front of them I didn't have a beer I Try to love them even when they fell down. Let's be loving. Let love conquer. And lastly, and most importantly, look for opportunities to tell them about Jesus. Verse 23 says, I do it for the sake of the gospel. Always be looking. Always be looking. Have eyes to see and ears to hear what's going on around So, we're to sacrifice our own comfort, put ourselves in harm's way for the drowning, for the lost. Are you convinced, like Paul was, that it's worth it so others may live? Others may live because they are destined for an eternity, a conscious, eternal suffering apart from Christ. If you, I used to have a very fluffy theology of hell, but actually it's a real place. It's not just an air-conditioned nightclub, as some people might think where all the cool musicians are. No, it's a conscious, eternal suffering. Jesus talks about a grinding and gnashing of teeth. So let's sacrifice our rights so that others may live. All to reach the religious, the non-religious, the moralists, the loose-living immoralists, the defeated and the demoralised, so that they may live. He moves on nearing the end of the chapter 
verse 24. Paul starts to talk about running the race and being disciplined. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run so that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. The work that we do here, you will receive crowns of glory that will last forever and ever. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Um, Just... To highlight that bit at the end, he's not talking about losing his own salvation. He's talking about losing um, crowns and rewards in heaven. So be disciplined. Now recently, I started to play football again. I haven't played football for about three years. And I used to consider myself okay for the standard that I played at. However, I was not disciplined and exercised like Paul had spoke about in this uh, part. I, I, I woke up the next day and I, I thought that something happened to my legs. I couldn't move them. I had to lift them out, out of the bed. <laughs> really hurt. But I, had, I wasn't exercised. I wasn't training. I, I was really bad as well, in fact. Um, I, there was one opportunity right at the end of the game and I goal was up to my right. I was like a right angle. The ball was coming to me and I just completely, the ball was coming across. I completely missed the ball. I walked away saying to people, I, I, honestly, I did used to be good, honestly. Yeah. <clears throat> I used to be able to kick a ball. <clears throat> but I wasn't training. See, there's a mission and a, a race set before us to reach a, a bigger amount of people And this requires training and purpose and discipline. I love what Mark prayed this morning. You know, the Christian life is is exciting and it's full of joy, but it's hard work and it's grueling and it takes self-denial and preparation because we're running towards a heavenly reward. Do you believe that? The Bible talks about in that day. Do you believe that that day is really going to happen? That one day you're going to be face to face with the Lord Almighty? Discipline. I'm rubbish at discipline, obviously, you could tell, I, with my football escapades. But I'm trying. I actually believe God challenged me when we moved here to be disciplined. Disciplined in my reading and disciplined in how I look after myself. I'm getting more disciplined in my reading and studying and spending time with God and I'm not quite there with my discipline and looking after my body. But I, I'm going to keep trying. I just breathe in a lot at the moment. <coughs> <laughs> but the life, Christian life is a, a life of discipline, of prayer, of studying this book. Study this book. Get to know it really well. You get to know who God really is and how much he loves you and what he's calling you to. Oh, I don't know, people have said to me in recent years, I don't know what God's call is on my life. I said, well, read this book, seek him in prayer, and then you might find out. Do, I, do you pray, I would say to him? Well, you know, I do sometimes. Do you read your Bible? Well, 
read the book. Get to know him. Let's not merely observe from the grandstand or turn up to jog a few laps. Let's train diligently. Our spiritual progress depends on it. Your fruit bearing relies on it. And the mission requires it. So repeat that. Let's not merely observe from the grandstand or turn up to jog a few laps. Let's train diligently. Our spiritual progress depends on it. Your fruit bearing relies on it and the mission requires it. In, <clears throat> excuse me, in 2 Peter, chapter 1, verse 5, he says this, for, for this very reason you must make every effort to support your faith with goodness and goodness with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with endurance and endurance with godliness and godliness with mutual affection and mutual affection with love. For if these things are yours and are increasing among you, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'll just read that last bit. For if these things are yours and are increasing among you, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful. It's quite a challenge, isn't it? To make every effort. Church, are you making every effort? effort to pursue him that's a challenge for me am I making every effort Lord help me Lord help us see he's telling us Paul in the last few verses in Corinthians that reaching the lost means strict training rising early to come before the Lord in prayer Equip yourselves with scripture. You notice when Jesus was in the desert, he says he was tempted in every way and the, the devil would come and speak to him and tempt him. How did he respond? With scripture. Equip yourself with scripture. Equip yourself in prayer. John Wesley said, God does everything by prayer and nothing without it. If we believe that, But not doing it, we're running aimlessly, like Paul says. If we neglect these disciplines. You know, even for your daily walk with Jesus, if you don't put your armour on, you're going to struggle. You're going to face battles, but you need to put your armour on. And you can put your armour on by reading this book, by standing in truth. Knowing you have the helmet of salvation. Don't let stuff get underneath the armour. Be praying. D.L. Moody says, every great, said, every great movement of God can be traced to a kneeling figure. Do you believe that? Do we have a prayer meeting on Tuesday? We do. If you believe that, if you want to see his kingdom come and his will be done through your life, through this church, can I encourage you to come to the prayer meeting on Tuesday? It's not just, oh, it's a, what is it, an hour and a half? Oh, it's an hour and a half of praying. Sounds like really hard work. No, we are pursuing the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings to see his will be done in this church and in this town and in this nation. So can I challenge you if you haven't been to a prayer meeting in the evenings, I would challenge you to come 
it's hard, I know, to go to it after a long day at work. But you know what? I go home, I help feed my kids and put them to bed, and then I come because I know it's worth it. Because I want to see God come. I want to see his glory and his will be done. So am I going to see you there? I want to see you there. So the analogy goes on to boxing and beating the air. And I I think what Paul is trying to say here is that he doesn't want kind of churches waving their arms around. You know, I've got in a few scraps in my time. And to start with, I wasn't very good and I would wave my arms around like that, but not landing any punches. I don't do that anymore and I do not encourage fighting. Um, But I think what Paul's saying here is, He's talking about making a fuss about things that don't really matter rather than doing the hard work of advancing the gospel in their own lives and the world around them. Paul wants his church to focus on the main thing, keeping Jesus at the centre, loving God with all our heart and loving your neighbour as yourself, those around you. He wants us to fight the good fight, run the race to win, He says, we receive an imperishable reward. Paul has his sight set on nothing less than the renewal of all creation and the conquest and destruction of death itself. Let's go for that, shall we? Let's go for that. We're called to live in this life now. But one day... If you know Jesus, you'll inherit a perfect, incorruptible, deathless body when God makes the whole world new again. So in our obedience, let's give up our rights and our freedoms in order to become the person God means us and created us to become. Going to finish with a great verse from Philippians 3, verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I'm straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's strain towards the goal. Church, can I ask you to stand? Let's pray. Let's just kind of be ready to receive from him and let him speak to you this morning. And it is just a sign really to, to God with your hand, if you put your hands out in front of you to say, I'm ready to receive and hear from you. Kind of sign of submission to God. Father God, we, we so love you, we so adore you. We thank you that you sent your son to die on a cross so that we may know you. The, the sinless, perfect, spotless one died on a cross for us so that we can know you for eternity. We can know you now and we can know you for eternity that you have conquered sin and death so we no longer fear the grave. And Lord, 
One day we will be with you for eternity, joining in with the millions of angels singing holy, holy, holy. But Lord, right now you're calling us to be your witnesses on this earth, to be ambassadors. Lord, I pray, help me, help my brothers and sisters here this morning. Keep our eyes on the prize. Help us, Lord, forego our rights for the sake of the gospel. Help us forego our rights for the mission that you've set out before us. And Lord, help us. Help us be disciplined. We want to know you more and more. We want to love you more and more. We want to know your call on our lives, Lord. And I pray, help us do that through the discipline of prayer and scripture reading, Lord. We want to know you. Lord, I pray, help, help us this morning, we pray, Lord Jesus. And we pray that we will see your kingdom come and your will be done through this church, in this town, and in this nation. Lord, we, we do cry out. We want to see revival, Lord. But sometimes I think we might not be ready for that. But Lord, I'm praying, help us be ready for that. Help us, Lord, forgo our rights for the prize that you have set before us. Thank you that one day when we see you, you'll say, good and faithful servant. Amen.